0: is Ferrada where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech Business and politics. I'm Dan Fromack. On today's show, new money for small businesses and a way to help New York medical workers. But first, breaking down hydroxychloroquine. So by now, you have probably heard of this drug, hydroxychloroquine, which has been around for decades. But the only people who really knew about it were doctors and patients suffering from malaria or certain autoimmune diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. It's not the sort of thing that there were Super Bowl ads about. But all of that changed a couple weeks ago after President Trump began hearing about a very limited study in France that hydroxychloroquine could help treat people infected with COVID-19. And then he and some of his associates have taken to suggesting it might be the answer that's been sitting right in front of our noses. The trouble, of course, is that we just don't know yet if it works or not. Yes, some people have used it and recovered. Other people didn't use it and recovered. It's also possible that some people used it and still died. The science is just not yet known, something that normal times would be widely accepted as the scientific process, but which today has become a partisan fault line. Why it matters, of course, is that a legitimate treatment would be the fastest way to not only cure the sick, but also reopen our economy. But false promises can lead to false hopes and divert our attention from other possible treatments. So to break it down, I am joined by Axios healthcare reporter, Bob Herman. Let's start here with the science of this. We obviously have heard lots of anecdotes from the president, from cable talk show hosts, and from patients who have recovered or or not. Can you help us here pull out the science from the anecdotes a bit? On the science, where are we right now when it comes to hydroxychloroquine?
1: I think it's just first worth noting that there are many other reporters who have covered healthcare longer than me. But I think at least in the past decade, this has been the most politicized drug I've ever seen. And it's one that's been around since the 50s. So I never thought we'd get to this point. Regarding the science versus the anecdotes, I think the science is still very, very unproven. Anecdotes are great to hear about, but they don't help make informed decisions. Just one example, there there are a lot of studies going on right now, both abroad and here in the U.S. One example, here in the U.S., a study just started sponsored by Rutgers, there are problems with it. There are every single arm that is studying this is getting the hydroxychloroquine. So there's no randomized component. There's no control group. There are lots of flaws and studies out there and and we need those randomized trials to to help us determine if it's both safe, but more importantly, if it's effective, if if this is something that could work.
0: In practicality, is it possible to even do such a trial? Because what you're saying and what you're suggesting is a trial where certain patients who have COVID-19, who are probably in pretty rough shape, wouldn't get this if it were to prove to work what their families would think about the fact that they got the placebo.
1: Right. Those are the concerns with randomized trials, right, is the ethical concerns. If one group gets it and it works and the other group doesn't get it and they die, you know, that's very, it's tough to live with. There are, you could do trials where maybe patients are not as severely ill with COVID-19 and maybe you could do randomized that way. But you know, there are ways to at least be better informed about this. You, You can't rely on just someone saying, I took it and I was better. Maybe they were on another drug and that drug helped. At the very least, there needs to be more rigors and parameters set around trials out there that at least... least try to isolate whether this works. The randomized part is difficult, and you don't want to make it seem like a very difficult ethical question. But otherwise, we will have no way of knowing whether this works. And and that's kind of where we're at right now.
0: Bob, help me with the history here a little bit. As you said, this is not a brand new drug. This has been around for decades and decades for other indications, lupus, etc. How did hydroxychloroquine, of all the drugs that are out there that do all sorts of different things, how did this one seem to become kind of ground zero when it came to coronavirus?
1: So you're right. This has been around a long time. It originally indicated for malaria. It also treats lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. But this really started, I would say, in March. You know, there was you know a study done in France, very very small, and what many scientists and researchers say was a poorly done study. But you know, regardless, they it, it, it basically tested hydroxychloroquine with a basically an antibiotic known as ZPAC combined. And it showed that there was maybe some helpful effects from taking COVID-19 patients. That kind of snowballed and and, uh, got some attention on the Fox News rounds. And of course, that is the cable network of choice for the president. And it just started to snowball, got on more TV shows there, Hannity, Dr. Oz. And before you know it, it's getting up to Trump's economic advisors like Peter Navarro. And my colleague, Jonathan Swan, he reported this out recently. Basically, it's come to a fisticuffs between Navarro and some of Trump's scientific advisors like Anthony Fauci. And they're promoting it as this Potential cure, and Fauci saying we need to pump the brakes. This is unproven. So it it basically just snowballed from this small French study to something that made into the way of the White House through TV.
0: Can we talk a little bit about, there are a bunch of stories, and particularly a large one in GQ, which talk a bit about President Trump's personal financial relationships to some makers of hydroxychloroquine. I'm not arguing whether the, the financial ties are legitimate or not. From your perspective, do you believe that is influencing the president's promotion of this, or is this the president who gets very excited about possible quick fixes, simply catching on to a possible quick fix that could get the economy back on track and, and help his reelection.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's more of the latter, that this is being viewed as a, a quick fix. I, I think there are some financial ties there, financial conflicts of interest. It's hard to say that those run deeper than I think what you know the GQ article mentioned. But this is being viewed as something that has been a long, around a long time, is safe for the conditions that it already treats let's try it What's the harm. Like you mentioned, there are some harms here, you know, in terms of it it could create irregular heart rhythms. But to be fair, those are relatively small. So the idea is this is a safe drug already, for the most part, some side effects, but if you use it, let's just make it and give it to people to make a quick fix. That I think is the the driving force here, not necessarily the financial side.
0: Bob, final question for you. People obviously are starting to use hydroxychloroquine, not just in the Rutgers study, but it is being used in some cases being prescribed by doctors right now for COVID-19 patients. Are we seeing any evidence yet that that usage, that new usage, is causing shortages or difficulties in getting it for people who have been prescribed it for other things, who maybe had been taking it previously?
1: I definitely think that is the case. When this first started to take off several weeks ago, I, I spoke with some pharmacists, and they said that they simply couldn't get it. They had lupus patients who absolutely could not get, they actually need that drug. There has been evidence that this wave of getting it out there, it has adversely affected people that need it. I think even in Massachusetts, they've actually said it's okay for doctors to self-prescribe and prescribe to family members. There's an issue of fairness about that. I think a lot of the medical societies have come out and said, slow down, you know, think about the the ethical implications here too. Doctors and uh, you should not just be prescribing this willy-nilly. That needs to be taken into consideration. So I think all this focus on hydroxychloroquine has created these shortages and it does seem problematic. There are ways around it. Productions being ramped up and donations have been made, but I think that's definitely part of this.
0: Thank you very much to Bob Herman, who you can find on Twitter at, at Bob J. Herman. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com and now back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, which is the part of the federal stimulus that's aimed at helping small businesses. The original PPP, which launched last Friday, had $350 billion in it. But there's already a feeling that that's not nearly enough. So Senate Republicans today are introducing a new supplemental bill that would drop another $250 billion into the pot. Although Axios' Elena Treen reports it might be a bit more complicated than Mitch McConnell would like. So from a parliamentary perspective, this bill can be blocked by any single U.S. senator. They just have to show up, go on the floor and say no. And that's because McConnell is doing this by something called unanimous consent. And the issue there is that Senate Democrats are said to be balking, not because they don't want the extra $250 billion for small businesses. They do. It's that they think this bill should also include things like new money for hospitals, new money for state and local governments and for low income food assistance programs. In short, expect negotiations before we get quick passage. And finally, a plug. If you happen to be one of those people with a Peloton bike, please join us this Saturday morning for a special Axios Pro Rata ride, which will benefit a nonprofit in New York that is helping to feed frontline medical workers and care for their children. We're going to be doing it at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Full details in the Axios Pro Rata newsletter tomorrow, which you can get at signup.axios.com or via my Twitter feed at Dan Primack. Let's all socially distance together for a very worthy cause. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Unicorn Day. And we'll be back Monday with another ProRata podcast.